We don't uh, believe in church shopping in our church, but if you are church shopping, <laughs> make it a one-stop shop. You don't need to go check out other churches, okay? Can I get an amen? Yeah. You don't need, you don't need to go check out other churches. I'm just saying, okay? Uh, do, you know, do you know what God did through you um, in December? Uh, some of you here last Sunday, and so this is going to be a repeat news. But we entered December, we entered December as a church with a pretty significant deficit in terms of our giving. And we challenged you to listen to God's voice and to give as God leads. And this is what God did through you. Uh, it's in your bulletins, but I just want to highlight. We were uh, $130,000 behind in terms of our, our budget and need. And our special Christmas giving, you, as of last, like literally this week, you gave $150,000.385 to the Christmas offering. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and by the way, if you're, if you're you know, one of those folks that likes to clap and you start clapping and nobody else is clapping and it kind of feels awkward, don't feel pressured by them to stop clapping. You pressure them to say what's wrong with you, right? So not only, not only, not only did you give 150,000 plus in Christmas offering, but you additionally gave to our general offering $132,000. And so we begin the year like $70,000 at a surplus. Now listen. There are markers when we need to sit back and go, God, that was you. And we need to remember that, as we talked about last week. The other thing I just want to briefly mention before uh, we jump in today is that um, next Sunday, we are going to have a very special MLK service Sunday. And I'm not going to tell you all the ins and outs of it, but all I can say is you do not want to miss it. And you also want to make sure that if there's an opportunity where you've been waiting to invite a friend, Christian or not, to a service where they get an idea, not totally an idea of what the gospel is, next Sunday is it. Mark it down on your calendars. MLK special, uh, the CC and the, and the offer, they gave a glimpse of what the worship might be like. So I just want to give you a heads up next Sunday, okay? We're so glad that you're here this morning. As has been, has been said throughout this morning, we've been on this sermon series called Follow Me. Uh, the reason why we're talking about this is because discipleship is at the core of what we believe Christianity is all about. It's what the New Testament is about. If you're a non-Christian, did you know that the word Christian only appears like three times in the New Testament? But the word disciple occurs 279 times, 239 times in the Gospels alone. The New Testament is a book about disciples, written for disciples, about discipleship. I'm, I'm actually, I, it, it's been uh, somewhat curious for me that in the recent years, have you noticed, if you're kind of paying attention to church trends, and I know most of you don't because it's not a job, there's a renewed interest in discipleship, which is kind of funny to me because... That's the one thing Jesus did. It's the one thing Jesus told us to go and do. 
So I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of amused that there's this, uh, you know, huge sort of, you know, resurgence of talking about discipleship. And I, ha- I, I have a, a thesis on why I think it's been, it's been difficult or it hasn't been popular because church, let's be real, we live in a land of comfortable, cultural, convenient Christianity. Where values of safety, convenience, and comfort reign supreme. And in a land of comfortable cultural Christianity, discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus, can we be completely honest, it's not popular. It's not going to pack the church out. It's not going to draw the crowds. Jesus certainly didn't. I don't know about you, but I don't think, I don't like Christian cliches. And one of the Christian cliches that I really, really despise is the safest place to be is, does somebody you guys know, the center of God's will. That is the epitome of comfortable, convenient Christianity. Because here's what I'd say. Tell that to Jesus. The one man who was at the center of God's will in every way died on a cross. Tell that to men and women who are in the Middle East because they're convinced that this is the center of God's will for their lives. Every day wondering, am I going to live to see another day? Church, the center of God's will is not the safest place to be, but when you and I are in the center of God's will, check this out, it makes us dangerous for the kingdom of God where God can use us Christianity, I think, was supposed to be unpredictable, radical, extreme. We've domesticated it. So we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm praying that you and I would feel uncomfortable and, and, and feel the, the, the maybe the ways that we've been conformed to think of Christianity, this predictable, comfortable thing. And thank you, whoever said this. Uh, uh, Sandy, I think you might have mentioned it. So discipleship is not about head knowledge, amen? As, as we've said throughout, we Christians in the West have been educated well beyond our ob- I'll say that every Sunday just to get that response from you, okay? We've substituted knowledge for obedience. Do you know what I would love? I would love when people talk about new community that people will say this. New community, yeah. That's that church that trains and equips people to do what Jesus actually said. They're actually living it. Not just learning about it. They're living it. Somebody once said, what would happen if you and I committed to read one of the Gospels, and every time we came to a place where Jesus said, do something, we stopped reading it, went out and did it, and then kept reading. You know what would happen? The kingdom of God would come to Chicago, and things would be radically different. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we don't do what we know. Let's live it, guys. Let's live this out. What are we living out? Um, I'm not your main speaker for today. Someone else is. I'm just setting up the table for him. This is in the anchoring text, because I see a lot of new faces that we've been on for the last like three years. I'm just kidding. We started last fall, but it feels like three years. Doesn't it, Ruth? Feels like it's been like three years. But it's been good three years. Amen? It's not like a long... 
Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. First slide. What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is someone who what? Follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. What makes you a disciple is not that you pray to prayer. Praying a prayer does not make you a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus makes you a follower of Jesus. And the call to follow Jesus is not simply an invitation to pray, but it's a summons to abandon, to surrender, to lose our lives, everything for him. As we were reminded by the worship team today, Jesus came saying what? If anyone would come follow me, let him what? Deny himself. This is why it doesn't sell in America. You and I walk in here having told Monday through Saturday, it's about you. Promote yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself. And the central message is what? Slay yourself. So let me ask you something, church, as we head towards 2020. When is the last time that following Jesus cost you and me something? When is the last time you and me Following Jesus caused some of our Christian or non-Christian friends to say, hey, it's one thing to be a Christian, but that, that's a little too much. Because the land of comfortable cultural Christianity, what's normal becomes radical. And what's ordinary becomes extraordinary. Well, why, why would you want to take your family and move there? It's dangerous. You could... Love them from the suburbs. No knock on the suburbs, please. Well, well, why, why would you give that much money to the church, to the poor, to ministry, and to people in need? Well, why, would you, why would you forego that promotion at work when everybody clamors for that? Well, well, why would you break off that engagement just because they weren't surrendered to the Lord? Well, why would you adopt more kids when you've got kids? Why would you want to be a foster parent? Message? Settle for comfortable, convenient Christianity. And let other people sacrifice their jobs, their kids, and their lives. And the message of Jesus is what? Deny yourself. I'm just going to ask something. For those of you that have gone all in with Jesus, is it worth it? Yes. Is it worth it, church? Because you will not know that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. Some of you that are sitting here, you've been in church all your life. I'm gonna tell you something right now. The worst place to be is what I call the deadly comfortable middle where you're sort of serious about Jesus and you're sort of wanting to be in the world because the message of Jesus, not me, the message of Jesus is until you go all in, you will not know the joy, the life, the satisfaction of knowing me. Disciple someone who follows Jesus. Disciples also someone, we keep reading, Come follow me, verse 9, Jesus, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Jesus is saying, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following, okay? 
Verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. So the second thing that we've come around is disciple someone who what? Invites others to follow Jesus. From the very beginning, Jesus is look at the 12. He looks at every one of us and says, being a disciple entails making disciples. Who are you and I inviting someone to take the next step towards following Jesus? For the first 300 years, without pastors, missionaries, church buildings, programs, and money, Christianity spread like wildfire and turned the Roman world upside down. Why? Because followers of Jesus were not consumers. They were followers. You cannot build a movement on consumers because for consumers, the moment that it stops meeting their needs, they're like, I'm out. But followers, Jesus says, wherever you go, I go. I've been challenging you and I throughout this sermon series, if you are doing some work for the kingdom, if you are not thinking and saying, who can replace me in this kingdom work, then we're not doing what Jesus called us to do. As I mentioned before, I'm not gonna be around this church forever. But I tell you, if when I leave, things collapse, which it won't, but if I leave, things collapse, it might be good for my ego, but I wasn't faithful to his call. Whatever it is that you're doing, when you walk away, that sucker ought to keep going. Why? Because you've been making disciples. Mm-hmm. The church doesn't exist for you. You are the church and you exist for the world. Please remember that. And the third aspect, which we will spend, I don't know, Ruth, maybe next two years on. Just kidding, it's gonna be like four, six, eight, 12 weeks. Is this, Matthew 4, 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They're in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nest, and Jesus called them. Jesus then never called individuals, he called them. He lives with the three, he lives with the 12, in community, and immediately left their boat and followed their, and, and their father and followed him. Third, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus in community. I wanna tell you something before I invite Matt Buten up here. If you are someone who is serious about following Jesus, you cannot do it apart from community. Why? Because community is the place where you do what Jesus said. It's where you practice what you're learning. You're formed, you live out, obey Jesus in the context of, say it with me, community. So Matt Buten. Well, what can I say about Matt Buten? Everything. Come on up here, Matt Buten. You guys know that one of the things that we love doing at New Community is that we love sharing stories of folks and hearing stories of folks because we believe that life transformation, life change, people that are living their faith is one of the primary ways that we learn about what it means to follow Jesus, right? So regularly at New Community, thank you, James, we invite folks to share their story, right? So we have Sundays like this, and last Sunday we have Testimony Sunday, where we get to hear from other brothers and sisters and hear a larger breadth of the gospel in the Christian life. So this guy I've known for three He says he's been coming for four or five years. And I'm like, three? So I'm like, well, I know. So he's been coming for a bit. And I remember the first time, I remember the first time I saw Matt. And if you guys know Matt, 
He's got this beautiful, like, smile and kind of exuberance about him. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? And, and, and I, was just, I was just struck by that because I am so not like that, right? So, so when I saw him, I'm like, I have to get to know this guy. Like he's, and one of the first things I realized right away is he loves Jesus. And I say that even without hesitation. I don't know what this means. But when I meet someone who genuinely loves Jesus, not serve, not loves Jesus, it does something to me. So Matt, this may sound like a weird question, but why do you love Jesus? Um, I, I think that's the most important question. Um, and it often hits us, at least for me, we don't think about that question. I don't think about that question enough, even though I do love Jesus. Um, but I love Jesus. Uh, what was hitting me in worship today uh, was that I love Jesus uh, because I've seen Jesus working in other people's lives, not even just my own life. I think so often we, we love God because because God has done something for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I've realized I actually love God because I've seen God doing things in so many other people's lives mm -hmm. that I can't help but say, uh, mm -hmm. you're amazing, mm -hmm. you're everything. Mm -hmm. I can't help but say, I wanna do mm -hmm. whatever, whatever you say. Mm -hmm. I want what these people have experienced. Um, and so trusting other people that they're real, or their experience is real, yeah. that Jesus' work in their lives, Jesus' call in their lives has been huge for me in my own yeah. formation. Um, <laughs> I, could, I could talk for, we could just keep going. This could yeah. be the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> I know, I know. So let me ask but, as we move along, okay? Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I asked you to come up here and share, Matt, is the third component of following Jesus in community. Which, frankly, is a challenge for many American Christians mm -hmm. for whom relationship with Jesus is very individualistic. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're passionate about following Jesus in community. So another question before we delve in. Like, why are you so passionate mm -hmm. that we don't just follow Jesus alone, mm -hmm. but that we do it in community? Why is that so important for you? Um, the verse that has been coming to my mind as I've been thinking about this is uh, there's a verse in Galatians 4. Uh, verse 19, um, and it's Paul writing to the Galatian church, and he says, I, I yearn with the labor pains. I'm like yearning for you to be formed into Christ. Um, but what he actually is saying there, we often miss it in English translations. He actually says, I'm yearning for you all, you all together, to be formed into Christ. Yeah. So yeah. I think we miss this often because mm -hmm. so two-thirds mm -hmm. of the yous mm -hmm. in the New Testament are actually plural. That's right. They're not singular, but we often read it as a singular because we live in an individualistic right. society where, where comfort and convenience and all these things tempt us to think that it's just about my relationship with Jesus. Yes. That discipleship can be done alone, but often right. as we say here at Newcom, right. the Christian life cannot be lived alone. That's it's right. about y'all right. 
being formed into Christ That's together. Right. Um, so, but, but for me, what gets me most excited about it is, I mean, I think, well, two things. One, it's just been my story. It's been, it's been the way that Jesus has shaped and formed me, but me as a we, me as, as a connected person to so many other people, as the sum of my relationships. Um, I, think, I think I'll say that is, and, but there, well, I'll say there's also a mutuality that I love mm -hmm. um, and about walking with Jesus in community, about discipleship in community. Um, and what I mean by a mutuality is that when you're walking with Jesus together with other people, you start to realize you can't help but say, I actually need that other perspective. That's right. I actually need them if, if I'm going to become who God wants me to be. Maybe especially if they're different from me. Maybe especially, especially if it's difficult for me to get along with them. I, right. I need them. Um, and that work, that mutuality is subversive. Yeah. It's, uh, it transforms the world. Yeah. It's a, it's, it reconciles across vast divides. Um, and and I, I believe that that's God's plan for the way that God wants to change. That's what Jesus did that's right. in, in how, what he set up and how to change this world. That's right. Um, so that mutuality, I think, is something that I, I would say, Peter, you've exemplified to our church with your own vulnerability, saying, I'm not, I actually need you as a congregation. Uh, I need you to form me. That for me, I actually work with a, a group of students at North Park University, um, and they're living in an intentional community together, a discipleship community, um, and it's costly, y'all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, mm -hmm. it is super hard mm -hmm. to walk in community, close community, where you're serving together, where you're worshiping together, where you're learning together, where you're living, they live together, so it's comprehensive in its, uh, in its, in their togetherness. Um, but what, what that does is I actually try, and Peter's an example for me in this, I try to be vulnerable with them and to say I need them because it's not just that I disciple you mm -hmm. as the leader. Mm -hmm. Actually, maybe you will do some discipling of me. Really, Jesus in you will disciple me, and Jesus in me will disciple right. you. Um, Jesus is the one who's discipling us all. Yeah, yeah. I know that there are certain specific passages and truths that have anchored you to be so passionate about discipleship in community. What are those truths that have, been, that have shaped you and that have sort of anchored you? I'm going to just jump to um, the first Bible study I ever led um, was my freshman year of college. And uh, it was 1 Corinthians 12 which is to this day one of my, I cannot say a favorite Bible passage, but it is up there with favorite passages. Um, so it's the, the, the half right after Paul goes into kind of all of the different gifts mm -hmm. that God has mm -hmm. given us. The point being that each one of us, every single person sitting in this room has gifts, strengths, a unique personality. Um, and, and, and then Paul goes into this line where he says, now there are many parts, many members, but there's one body. Yeah. He says, um, 
you all, like it's, an, it's another instance where he uses that you plural. Y'all are together the body of Christ. Um, there are many members, many individuals with many specific gifts, many unique, and you are one part. But I think for me, what that does is it, it's, a, it's a radical paradigm shift. Um, often I think if we have a mentality that says, I individually can be Christ or my relationship with Jesus, like it can just be my, my, my faith can be about me and Jesus. We miss something fundamental. Jesus is calling us to a we in Jesus. Jesus yeah. is saying, yes, you are a member. Yeah. You are a vital member. This is something CC's been really good with me, <laughs> even yesterday. Reminded me that I am vital. And I could go into a lot of things around this. Uh, part of the reason why I feel like I haven't been up here in four years or I haven't done any, I haven't tried to kind of keep, be on the DL, um, is because I don't value my own gifts and um, my mm. own calling mm. high enough. Um, mm. There are parts of my own story that cause me to shrink back from mm. sharing my gift. Mm. And so that might be you. Maybe you are, your gift hasn't been activated. Maybe you aren't living in step with your gift um, because of fear or shame or doubt or, um, but, but, um, but you are a member. You are necessary, and without you, we cannot be the body that God has called new community to be. Similarly, some of us end up thinking that the various parts of the body are the whole body, that the body should look like one thing, um, and this is a dangerous mentality. Um, there's a lot of places we could go with that too, but I, I very, much, very much believe that um, we need to... Uh, we need to find ways of cultivating, making room, being hospitable for all of the gifts that are present here, all of the cultural diversity, the, um, the personality diversity, economic diversity, diversity even in struggle, um, all of those things inform the unique membership that we have and then the unique unity then that we can have. We had a leadership retreat yesterday here, and I share this with the leaders. As Matt's saying, we have all the gifts needed here to fully reflect Jesus to the city of Chicago. We have all the gifts here, but not all the gifts are functioning. Big difference. Big difference. And I wasn't planning to share this, Matt, but what would it mean for us to be a church where the full manifestation of who Jesus is through kingdom powers and gifts would be reflected in Chicago because all the gifts are functioning? One of the stories you told me early on that I loved was your time in Ecuador. Share some stories personally as well as in your ministry with Crux that's shaped and taught and frankly continue to clarify discipleship and community, discipleship and community, discipleship and community. So um, I, my story is that um, both of my parents are pastors. So uh, I grew up in a very unique uh, setting. 
Um, so I, I, when you talk about knowing, like knowing all the stuff, like that, and not necessarily having to do it, just living in a culture, a yeah. Christian culture like that, that's the story of my first 18 years of life for the most part. Um, in college, especially toward the end, well, my junior year especially, had some very powerful realizations that um, I wasn't really actively following Jesus. Um, and, I, and I felt Jesus inviting me. It wasn't even like a, a command to follow. It was like an invitation. It was wooing me into the, the I mean, because if we actually think about what Jesus is inviting us into, it's like, would you like to be a part of the way that all of the, all of the struggles and all of the pain in the world might be healed. It's like, that's like the greatest opportunity ever. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, yes, uh, would you like being a part of the renewal of the entire universe? <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so like I very much towards the end of my college career found myself stepping, taking steps into that, but it was, it was a very me and Jesus mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and towards the end, I started praying, uh, God, what, what's coming after college? What's coming? Um, and I felt him say, you need people who don't think the same way that you've been thinking. Hmm. You need people who don't even believe necessarily all the same things that you believe, who don't mm -hmm. assent to all the same doctrines that mm -hmm. you have, who have a different life experience, who come from a different socioeconomic status, who maybe have just a totally different worldview, mm -hmm. ideology. Um, and so... I uh, went with a group of Catholics. I'm not Catholic, never have been. Um, Although there's nothing wrong with oh, being Catholic. Uh, okay, I just want to I'm in be love clear. with the Catholic Church okay. now. Like, uh, I just want anyway. to be clear. We love the Catholics. <laughs> so I went with a group of Catholics, okay. the Jesuits, who okay. I'm also crazy We love about. them too. They're great. Okay. They're, the larger universal body of Christ. We love every single, I'm just teasing. I mean, I could go off on yeah, that. Too. Yes, we can. Oh, man, there's so many. But like the Catholics are one member of God's larger body, right? Oh. As is this, you know, Newcom is one member. Amen. Um, the covenant is one member. Like these, so this is a larger, these are larger realities. Anyway, back to the story. So uh, I go with these Jesuits, these Catholics down to Ecuador uh, to speak a language that at the time I did not speak um, to... <laughs> to begin to try to relate to people that I didn't know and didn't agree with. And very quickly, it became just, I mean, frankly, excruciating. Mm. It's occurring to me now that even in that word is cross, mm -hmm. the Latin uh, right. excruciating, that cruis is cross, yes. which is crux, which is the, pro, the name of the cohort that I helped to lead. Um, and so when Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when, a man calls Jesus, or when, when, or when Jesus calls a man or a woman to come follow, he asks them to come and die. Um, and so there was this process of being in Ecuador that was excruciating. That was death. That was cruciform life. That was, oh man, Lori, when you, I can't even tell you what, what talking about self-emptying did for me today. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But that is, for me, the story. Of, like, if you want to participate in the work of God, um, what it asks of you and invites you into is going down. That's right. Is, is humility That's right. or that, that text, some people even translate it humiliation. Yep. Yep. Um, and so for some of us, that's a very 
intense calling. Um, for other of us, you know. You know the cruciform life. You know what it is to already be on the cross. You've been crucified before. You grew up with a tremendous struggle or trauma. Or, um, and so I got in touch with a lot of these people in Ecuador, uh, some of whom were actually my, the other missionaries I was with. And uh, I'll share one story. Uh, there's an individual. His name is Patricio. Um, Patricio and I, right off the bat, really didn't get along. Even though I try to get along with everyone. Like, I do try to smile, and I try to be not, like, I'm Who would pretty... not like you? <laughs> That's what I thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I come along. Me and Patricio are supposed to get to know each other a little bit. We had an hour walk together. Okay, so we did these walks. And, um, and he, I ask him, so Patricio, tell me a little bit about who you are. He's like, well, from Ohio. Uh, I'm Catholic. You know, and I'm excited about Ecuador. And he just like stopped. I was like, okay, a little more. Like, I asked some more questions. I'm getting one word answers from this guy. Like, I'm very verbal, if you can't tell. Like, Peter's asked like three questions. I've gone on. <laughs> so like, I'm just like, dude, share with me about who you are. And uh, he's, he's pulling teeth. And eventually I'm like, what do you believe? And he's like, the, the catechism. And I'm like, what does it say in the, I've never read the catechism, like what is this, so I'm just, the whole conversation was like this, the whole hour, and for me, I was just like, bro, like, what are we going to do with this, then we go to Ecuador, we live life, we're supposed to be in an intentional Christian community, um, and, uh, and all of the, my community mates, all the other missionaries are struggling with Patricio, they're struggling with me though, because I'm actually not being my full self either. Mm-hmm. As I go into depression, mm-hmm. as I go into some of the pain and the doubt that I have, mm. I'm not sharing that with mm. the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I very much, side note is, uh, that's what it is. When you're walking community, you have to share that stuff. And not in a forceful way, yeah. but in a way that says, like, that is what is healthy for you. Yeah. When you bring that out. And so it wasn't until eight months into it. I mean, I went through depression for eight months as a dude who smiles all the time, like heavy, heavy year uh, or heavy eight months. And then I finally was like, you know what, this is too much. So it all kind of, it all came to a head when um, I told Patricio, like, dude, you don't know what you believe. And ever since that first conversation, I'm like worried about you, man. Like this is this is serious. Like the, what, what you believe shapes the way you live. And so I was very honest with him about this. And, and it revealed a lot in me, a lot of my own judgment, a lot of my own doubts, a lot of the fact that I didn't know who I was. Um, and he was so responsive. I mm. said, you, like, mm. he said, what would you, what would you have me do? Like, I want to, I trust you. Like, what would you, what would you recommend? And I was like, can you please just like read your New Testament? A little bit judgmental and down my, <laughs> like, come on. Uh, and, and he said, um, he was like, absolutely. Two weeks later, he had read the whole thing. Mm. And not just that, he wrote down every single verse that he didn't understand. Mm. So we're talking, he wrote down mm. eight pages, mm. front and back, mm. of all these verses. Mm. Like, he copied the New Testament. <laughs> he, mm. like, and then he brought it to me after two mm. weeks mm. and said, can we discuss all this? We wow. spent the next three months wow. unpacking all of it. Mm. Not only that, though, as I said, the mutuality, he began to help me unpack some of my own calling, some mm. of my own doubts, some of my own emotions that I had been going through. Ask me those important questions. Um, so much so, so beautiful. Like the fruit that God yields from this stuff. Okay, so after that year, we go back to the United States culture shock, all the stuff. And 
I begin to perceive a call to go to seminary. Mm. Start going, I, I, I go to, move here to Chicago uh, with my wife, Allison, and we, I start going to seminary here in Chicago. Find out that Patricio has decided to become a Jesuit priest. Mm. Like he's like perceiving a call to become a priest now. Mm. Not only that, a couple of years ago, mm. he ends up getting called to Chicago and he's serving at an all-black Catholic church on the south side of mm. Chicago where, where, like, where I now take the students that I lead That's in an beautiful. intentional Christian community, I take them there to worship, beautiful. right? So that they can see that the kingdom of God is much bigger That's than beautiful. just you know, their sphere or what they've, they've experienced until this point. So anyway, that's what God can do through these types of committed relationships. We, we clapped to that. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing, Matt. That's amazing. All right, so as we, as we kind of bring this to, to, to a close, Matt, I, I want to ask you, you've been at our church and you know that although there are amazing things that God is doing for us to live into this discipleship and community, they're challenges. So how would you exhort, encourage your church family, your church body, as we go on this next season now of pursuing Jesus together? Like what would, what, what's on your heart? What's, what's God placed on your heart to encourage and challenge your church family? Um, I would say, I would encourage us to have long-term committed relationships with people, especially being Newcom, it's undeniable that we're a multi-ethnic church. I was just looking at, uh, at all the different groups of people that have been up on stage. Mm -hmm. Every single one has been a conglomerate of multi-ethnicity, multiple different people from multiple different ethnicities. Um, and so I would say, I would encourage us to commit to long-term mm -hmm. relationships mm -hmm. that go beyond a pseudo-community, beyond mm -hmm. uh, 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 just diagnosing problems, just beyond conflict, beyond um, uh, even like naming those problems to becoming kind of a, doing all of those things, but then yeah. going to becoming this beloved community right. that works through all of that. Right. Going from a pseudo-community to kind of the, the real conflict that communities of discipleship go through. That's right. To naming some of those things and processing through them into being beloved. Mm -hmm. um, and so that happens in many ways. I think it could happen. Um, I love the work that Ruth has been doing mm -hmm. um, in restructuring mm -hmm. life groups for us. Mm -hmm. um, that we have a context in which you can have a committed relationship, a microgroup where you know, you walk with people on a daily basis. Right. That is what communal discipleship That's has right. to be. It ha like, and so the question becomes, do, who are your close relationships? Yeah. Who are your closest relationships? Yeah. Do they know your deep insecurities? Yeah. Do they know the things you struggle with? Um, can they fall asleep on your couch? <laughs> can they, mm. do they, maybe do they have a key? Maybe is that what mm. God is calling mm. you to? Do they take care of your kids? Have mm. you eaten with them, mm. right? Do you live the fullness of life? Do you know, have you been to their workplace? Yeah. Have uh, all of these things, I think, are very practical ways of getting closer to people who are different from you. 
um, in that microgroup space. But it goes beyond that mm -hmm. to the, the, I think Jesus is, he has the three, Peter, James, and John, he has the 12, mm -hmm. he has the 72 that yep. he calls, and yep. then the crowds. And so yeah. we have all these different levels present in our church. Yeah. I think that can work on the life group level as well, yeah. microgroup, life group. It can work at larger events that we have, and it can work in this space as well. Yeah. Um, so we always just have to be making room yes. for uh, diverse, the f for, for people to be their full self, mm -hmm. to bring every part of who you are um, in love together, uh, uh, yeah, walking, walking toward Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, we're about to celebrate MLK Sunday next week. As a white man, he, he doesn't know, he didn't know I was gonna ask him this question. As a white man, what do you feel like is the word maybe you have for yourself or our entire church about living into this beloved community when it comes to issue of race? <laughs> That's not hard for a white person to answer. Um, no, not at all. Um, I think maybe this is why it was so powerful, Lori, for you to talk about, I mean, Philippians 2, that is like, that verse, that set of verses has been, I cannot tell you the reason I lost it in worship over that because it's just been my whole like adult life, my whole walking with Jesus in community, that has been the passage. So it was a confirmation for yeah. me of what, of, of the goodness of what God is doing in my own life um, and what God wants to do in our, in our church. But I'll say that as a white man, Philippians 2 calls me to The word is kenosis that she's talking about, self-emptying. Um, really, it actually means, so as a white man, I looked this up, okay, so I'm in, in seminary and I'm doing Greek and all this stuff. What it actually means is to empty oneself fully of privilege. To empty oneself fully of the, of the benefits that I've received throughout my whole life um, that I did nothing to get. Um, and, and that could be on any, in, on, there are many different possible applications for that. But um, I would say that the calling for us as, uh, as a multi-ethnic church is to that cruciformity, to that taking a posture of self-emptying. Right. And that anyone can do that. It you don't have to be white in order to take a posture of self-emptying, right? Um, and yet I know for me, that's what Jesus has modeled. That's right. And that if we together are the body of Christ, like that's how right. beautiful, really what that means is that we together, when we all take that posture of cruciformity, then, then we will be doing, then, then the body of Christ, then uh, we will actually be Jesus for the world, right? Only insofar as we are all self-emptying, uh, only insofar as we're loving one another. I think that's what love really is, is to say, I, I put you first. I pour out myself. I want you to be made great. I celebrate you. 
Um, and so that's what I would call us to, is to celebrate one another, be our full selves, and to celebrate one another's full selves. John 13, 34, 35. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Can we give Matt a big hand, church? Thank you, Matt. Church, can we just stay up here? Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for Matt, and the worship team is going to lead us in this final song. As you heard Matt's kingdom assignment, his kingdom assignment, his kingdom assignment is to serve as one of the leaders of this cohort at North Pike University called Crux, leading a group of students to follow Jesus in community. They've had one semester, now they're entering their second semester. So what I'd love for us to do, because he is on a kingdom assignment from the Lord in that place, as much as he has a kingdom assignment in our church. So if you can, if you feel comfortable, we just kind of stretch out your hand towards our brother. Come on, stretch your hand towards our brother. You've heard his heart. You've heard his heart. This comes loud and clear. You've heard his heart. This man loves Jesus. He, he loves following Jesus. And he's passionate about leading others to follow Jesus together. So, Lord, we commission our brother to his kingdom assignment. Thank you for the clarity around the kingdom assignment in his life. And thank you for the ways that you have gifted him with kingdom powers and spiritual gifts to fulfill that kingdom assignment as you do for all of us. May he lack nothing, God, as he leads those students and is led by them. May the power of the Holy Spirit continually flow at each gathering, at each meeting, each interaction. May they be courageous to embrace the call to die to themselves so that Christ might live in and through us. May the students that Matt leads and himself commit God each day daily to carrying the cross and denying himself so that the power of Christ and the life of Christ might shine in and through them. Father, we pray that North Park will be a place where the glory of God, the kingdom of God will be evident. May that be a place where the light of Jesus Christ will shine brightly. The students who don't know you, professors who don't know you, faculty who don't know you, people who've walked away from you might be drawn to the beauty, the power, the wonder, and the majesty of the gospel. May the testimony of that place be God is alive and at work in this place. May the kingdom of God and glimpses of the kingdom of God be evident there. We lift up our brother to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, 